0: Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. You know what to do about all the stuff. We're in the middle of a series. We've got to get back to it. So what are we talking about? The mystery of one, unity in the church. And so what we're going to talk about, this is a little bit of review, I guess. We just started putting our our toe into the discussion of what the biblical understanding of one is. And and of course, the Old Testament verbiage is Echad, Yahweh is one. And then we moved a little bit into the New Testament, where where this this mis- mysterious building is being established, this house, then and this house and, and the structure as as those of us who are the living stones reality are are being assembled together. Something begins to form, and we're we're formed off of Yeshua, the cornerstone, on top of the apostles and prophets. And as we are built with these living stones reality, what are we doing? We're being joined together, and this this structure begins to grow into a holy temple. And because it's growing into a holy temple, um, Ephesians 2.22 ends with, we're being built together into a dwelling place for Yahweh himself by the Spirit. This is a supernatural work. It's it's an incredible work that what an incredible opportunity we have to be any part of that. That should not be my identity. I should not be a living stone. But praise the Father I am. And so we're going to continue on this point here um, in part two of the series. And so let's look at this a little bit more. Um, Ephesians chapter four, this speaks more to the Greek understanding of one many times. Uh, Let's just read one through six. Um, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humil- humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so obviously Paul here is is giving some counsel towards how in the world do we attain this mystery of oneness? Unified in the church. How in the world do we do that? Humility, gentleness. I mean, these are literal lists, friends. <laughs> if we say, well, can't do it, you know how people are these days. There's nobody, there's nobody quite like us. There's nobody but me. Can't find unity. No, that's an excuse that's got to go out the window. We're going to talk about that more later, too. So, Paul's in- encouraging the church at Ephesus to. To do these things, be worthy of the calling of what you've been called to, brothers. How? By being humble, gentle, patient. And then continuing on, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body, one heis, one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Continuing on, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Friends, do you understand this mystery of one? We've got to begin to give ourselves to how in our minds and in our hearts, as we, as we look at the body of Messiah and anybody that is alongside us now or even from a distance, that we begin to lose ourselves, rightly so, into the mystery of one. Because the goal is, I simply, in humility, in gentleness, in patience, bearing with one another in love, and what is love? Love is a whole lot more than just fist bump and love you, brother. It's a, it's a death of yourself to give your life for the brethren, to endure long. Love has to look like something. And you don't know what it's going to look like until you're truly in unity with the brethren, dependent upon the Spirit. So, we and the list, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. <laughs> okay, so there is a theme here in the Word of God about the mystery of one. So equally, throughout Romans and, and other places as well, we see references of this one body being made up of many members. Now, now when we look at that, and we don't have time to read all this stuff, but you you are if you've been in the church five minutes, you know that the body is made up of many members. Now, this members in Greek is melos, and it, it talks about limbs. And so there are there are parts within the body, but we, I'm trying to get us to, to get our minds, I would say, according to what the scripture is presenting. Off of the individualness of the church, and like just because we're told that that there are members is not a dividing up because as Christians we're probably the the church is more divided than any other large people group in the whole world there nobody would argue that point. There are more denominations than I could probably list in a couple of hours, and I don't even claim to know them all but and even within that there's even in this area there are probably at least at least four types of baptists are you a free will baptist are you a southern baptist are you an independent baptist it's endless why because well i'm i'm a living stone over here and i'm just not like you friend i'm not like you brother i don't believe that doctrine I don't believe that. Now, here's the thing. We are all going to disagree in doctrinal understanding. That is a sure thing. And we're going to talk about the scriptures that discuss that, about, well, what do we do then about the scriptures having telling us to have one mind or or, or speaking the same thing that's coming? We're going to talk about that because it's, it's an integral part of this discussion. But what I'm trying to do is trying to get you in, in 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 the body at large, anyone who might have ears to hear, to come out of our understanding of excusing excusing our individual functions and differences. Well, I can't talk to you. I literally have heard about people in several circumstances in the last 30 days or so where other believers will literally will they will literally not talk to other members of the body because of their doctrinal differences because of the way they were baptized, or because of the community they're in, and you're not in. Or, well, this denomination does not interact with this denomination. You're not the church. We're the church. And and that's why this is so necessary to understand the mystery of one, because there is very much there's disunity in the church, and no one can argue that point who can speak an honest word. The church is so disunified. They are so scattered. They are so distant from one another relationally in our hearts. And division is at every turn. We we have got to admit that. And and only in our admitting that will we get past it and have any hope to move into true unity. And so there's all this one talk in Ephesians chapter 4. So what about this? Let's talk about this for a minute. We have to be extremely careful that diversity does not allow room for division. Okay, let me repeat that. We've got to be careful that we don't allow diversity to make room for division. Okay, let's go to John chapter 17. i got papers all over. Please be patient with me. Papers and Bibles and pens and all kinds of stuff. Okay. Now this is argue, arguably Yeshua's last prayer uh, before his death on the cross. So, okay, so this this is probably something we need to know. This is probably something we need to stop. Oh, honey, turn off turn off the TV. Um, this is Yeshua's last prayer on earth. Okay, so this my Bible says the high the high priestly prayer. We don't have to call it that, but this is this is worthy of our time. Okay, so let's start here, verse nine. This is Yeshua talking, and it starts out in verse 1. He's lifting his eyes up to heaven, and he says, Father, okay? And so let's go to verse 9. I ask on their behalf. I don't ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Man, we could, oh my gosh, the two-house stuff all over this. What, who are these people? Uh, verse 10, all these and all things, excuse me, that are mine are yours, And thine are mine. Okay, your people are mine. You've given them to me. I've been glorified in them. Verse 11. I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Okay, so here we are. Yahweh is echad. He is one. I I don't buy into the person's verbiage, as I've already shared in part one. And so... There is a there is a a singleness that that I believe Yeshua is trying to this is recorded for us to read study and apply to our lives. I believe Yeshua is trying to get this across that there is a desire for a there is a desire in his heart to see his church, his body as unified as he is in the father. No division, no separation, no individuality, no persons, a mystery of one, okay? It's a mystery. (laughs) And that's what's hard about this this series is, like, we can only talk about it in certain ways because we just don't know. We just don't understand. (laughs) And as I said in part one early on, it's okay if we don't understand it all clearly because it is, I believe, a mystery, Okay, so what verses are we going to read? 11 and 21. So he says, his desire is that they, we, the church, may be one even as he and the Father are. we got to skip down for the sake of time. Uh, verse 20, I don't ask in behalf of those alone. It's talking about being sanctified. But for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one even As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you did send me. Okay, so let's just, for the sake of time, we got to get to this. And let me propose it this way. When we, the members that Yeshua is talking about, come into Messiah, we lose our individuality into the greater again continuing the building metaphor the structure metaphor the one identity our preferences our opinions our ways of doing things all is surrendered and given up willingly in humility to enter into the one identity because we know that that yeshua and the father are perfectly one not one they are simply one period <coughs> No separation or division. Why? Because all Yeshua does is prefer the Father. It's What he say? Not my will? In other words, what? Let's simplify. This is not about me. Are you kidding me? The Son of God, Yeshua, the Messiah, the prophesied Savior, deliverer, rescue of the whole world said, hey, this isn't about me. What'd he say with all the accolades being heaped upon me? Don't call me good. There's none good except my father. Do you understand that, friend? Yet we, in the church, we set up one stone, and we make it all about the stone. Prophet so-and-so, worldglobalinternationalministries.com. It's all about the prophet man. Or Our church. First Baptist Church, so-and-so, wherever. On the corner, ornate, beautiful, best choir, most attractive members. They drive the best cars, have the most beautiful programs. One stone, not even a stone. You know what I'm saying? And what have we done? That's what we have done in modern Christianity. We We take the worldly understanding of celebrity and we brand it, on the church. It's all about our ministries or our abilities or even our giftings. All over the internet right now on YouTube, you can watch videos of, of individuals where their name is always prominently front and center doing signs and wonders right now. All recorded. Look, look at what we're doing for God's glory. I don't buy it because all I see are a bunch of singular individual living stones saying, look at look at the stone. Look at the stone. And what I'm crying out for the body of Messiah to get is it is not about the stones. It is about the building. It is about the structure that if we do this according to the word of God, we have a chance to become a holy temple and an abode for Yahweh himself. We're going to have one or the other. And I, sadly, the church is satisfied with the with the singular individual-based living stone reality where we stare at the stone instead of the whole. So it's okay to give up our identity to come into the one identity that Yeshua said it was his heart's cry as he's about to end his life as he's about to culminate everything he accomplished in a body of flesh and blood, he's thinking of what? Oh, Father, please lead these people through me into the reality that you and I know that they may be one like you and I are one. It's incredible. And it has to be possible because that was his heart's cry. And again, a component of why he came. Now, again, I alluded to this a little bit already. We must not fear losing our functions or losing our abilities and giftings. It's okay. Don't be so afraid. Well, what about me? I'm not going to be seen. I'm not going to be noticed. I'm not going to be recognized. You know what, friends? So what? So what? So what if you don't have your own name on a banner at a building or if you're not someone can we find our satisfaction in simply being a living stone that looks beside us and sees another living stone and says hey brother you and i are building a structure for yahweh to dwell in his holy temple can you believe it what a mind shift change it flies in the face of modern christianity friend That says, you who raise your hand if you feel like you're being called to the ministry. Come to the front and we'll anoint you and we'll pray that you get set in place as a beautiful living stone. It's all about the cornerstone built upon the prophets. And it's all about the beautiful end reality of having a. I want to be a small part in. The erecting of a house for God. (laughs) That is my satisfaction. We contribute to the whole. Yes, of course. But we do it together in unity. Why Is why we have this, this unity of the church in here that we will get to. I'm going to talk about that a lot here in the latter half of this. By doing so, by doing what I just shared the last five minutes, by embracing the fact that we are a, a living stone being lost into the whole structure for Yahweh's glory, and, and, and giving ourselves to, to pray this prayer with Yeshua and cry out, Yes, Father, please help us. Help me to, to do all the things that we already read were instructions about and gentleness and kindness and brotherly love and all these things. Father, Give me the heart to lose myself in order to be one with the brothers and to be one with the Son and to be one with you. Why? Well, John seventeen twenty one says this. What's the culmination? We just read it. I'll read it off of here. That the world may believe that the Father sent the Son. Okay, do we understand that? that? That that Yeshua said, this: if they do this, if they become one like we're one, the world will know that I'm Messiah. They'll know why I came. They'll know my identity. So please, Father, allow them to become one like we are one. So why did he send the Son then? If this is so that the world may believe that the Father sent the Son, why did he send them? To gather the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's why, that's just where I am right now. The grafted in reality of those who leave behind the ways of the Goyim nations that we talked about in the festivals or feast series. And we covenantally join ourselves to Yahweh, which is our entrance in to be one with him via covenant. That's what covenant is. We lose ourselves into the son who perfectly fulfilled every single requirement that the father demanded to be one with him. Now we see a connected theme found in John chapter 13. Yeshua says this, quote, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. OK, so what we see Yeshua do. Is Love. How we saw him walk was a demonstration of love. So when we do that, we love one another. And verse 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So by what? By doing what Yeshua did, all people will know that we follow the capital W way. If we love one another, as he defined love, which is laying down his life, we have the same call, the same challenge before us. Again, to make this clear, to abandon our individualness in the sense of all of this gospel is about me. That's the gospel of the hour. That's old-time religion. It's you at the foot of the cross, and Jesus would have died for you if it was just you, brother. He would have died for you. Well, friend, that's a that's a little tricky thing to say when we look at the whole Bible. That's very selfish, really, I think. <laughs> Looking back over my whole Christian life, that's kind of a selfish thought how I view Scripture now. He, Let's say he would have, but he didn't. <laughs> he didn't die just for me. He died to purchase a people to come into the fold to be Yahweh's people again. It's much bigger than just me, and it's much bigger, friend, than just you. And is that okay? (laughs) I hope so. So, we have to leave the ways of the nations, as we already talked about. And Yeshua then goes on to say, by this, by loving one another, people will know you follow me. You're my disciple. Now, this, of course, is agape love in the Greek, and we know this word probably and know what it means. And it sends us all the way back to its first appearance in Hebrew form when Yahweh instructs Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, quote, whom he loved. Okay? And so this is a love of, of, of laying down the, the most precious things in your life, whether it's, it's, we can list a number of things, whether it's your own son or whether it's your very own life. You what? You lose it to go into Messiah. You lose your life in order to surrender your will and be your own version of a suffering servant because Yeshua learned obedience through the things that he suffered, and we do likewise. And suffering, as I always say on the program, I believe can be simplified down to self-denial. We live a life where we do not just do what we want, we do what pleases the Father. And often the, what pleases the Father directly opposes my flesh, and therefore I suffer by denying myself. In preferring the Father's ways over my own. John ten thirty, Yeshua tells us that He and the Father are one. Now let's talk about um, some practical ways I believe this looks in real life. Because this is this is the verse that that I really started this um, thought process with. I'm probably talking four thousand miles per hour in this series, and I apologize. I don't want it to be six parts long again, like the last one. Psalms talks about unity in in the in a word that, if you know Hebrew at all, is is Tov. It's good. Um, and I, I shared about this, I don't know, it's probably been a couple months back in a gathering um that springboarded off of this verse. And I want to I want to try to take what I shared with that group that day and and interject it into this here. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good, tov, and pleasant, naim, it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Now, now this word good in Hebrew simply means agreeable. And pleasant is a delightful, beautiful thing. It, it It is a good, agreeable, and pleasant, delightful, beautiful thing when brothers dwell together in unity unified. Now, to dwell, I want I want to be clear that this does not necessarily have to mean geographically. Because a lot of people, well, yeah, we live in community. Or, you know, we, we use community verbiage. And everybody is in some level, well, not everybody, but many people are in some level of community. It's just differing comfort levels, really. Or just the way opportunities have played out. But I'm not talking about literal geographical dwelling but there is a a spiritual understanding i would say relationally to cohabitate in the same abode in the sense where you have a level of openness and transparency and vulnerability with the brothers that you walk in a place where where who i am really is who you know okay and and who you are really at the heart of hearts That's the man I know, okay? So this dwell together in unity does give us the imagery of being in close proximity with one another. Now, again, I don't believe this has to be we have to live in the same uh, 10-acre radius, okay, on a shared property, because a lot of people have have, uh, understood these scriptures to mean that. Well, this means you have got to live on a shared property. You have to dwell together in unity, I'm not saying that cannot be a component of that, but what I am saying, um, maybe the more important part of it that we understand and the way I would understand this scripture is this is representing a, a proximity of heart. You dwell in the same place of intimacy, again, of vulnerability. Relational honesty is always front and center. A heavy dose of unwillingness to ever carry offense has got to be of utmost importance. So, the issue I would say upon that, talking about offense, because boy, we could spend some time here, the issue is not with disagreeing with the brethren, okay? The issue is not finding people who believe just like me so we avoid disagreement, because I don't believe disagreeing is the issue, but rather allowing offense to come when we disagree. This is the problem. And people who truly dwell together in unity of heart, unity of endeavor and purpose, these people will disagree. If you're with a group of people and you've never disagreed, you don't know those people. I would argue that point until I turn blue. If you're with someone and you always agree on every single thing, you do not dwell in unity together. You don't. You have camaraderie. You have agreement on some issues that are apparently are not very important because everybody's in agreement. Okay, and we're going to tackle this a little bit here um, in the next part of this series about what what is unity, what is agreement. Again, as I alluded to in part one, what about the verses that say we speak the same thing? Well, we're gonna we're gonna dive into that and, and hopefully get some understanding towards it. Uh, to wrap up this part here. I think that Psalm 33, verse 1 is perhaps one of the scriptures um, that Yeshua was talking about when he stated John 13 that we just read a few moments ago, when he said, I want them to be one like we're one. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because surely the way the Father and Son interact is good and pleasant. They absolutely dwell together in unity. Why? Because of the one reality. One. One agreed-upon structure, agenda, plan is in place. No other options. Man, we're going to talk about this here in a few minutes. I'm looking forward to that. People will know that we are Yeshua's disciples, as we talked about. When we love one another, I would say to put these verses together, when we're found agreeable and delightful. Beautiful, <clears throat> beautiful, which is the fruit of being willing to die to ourselves by dwelling together in unity. I believe dwelling together in unity produces this. And sadly, we try to establish the fruit first. I've not thought of that, and that's not in my notes. I submit that as being possible. In our attempts to be in unity with others, in the body of Messiah, I'm afraid we try to agree first and then become unified together and dwell together in our hearts. I feel like that's really something maybe the Spirit's saying. I would submit that to you as a possibility. What if the Spirit's saying we have it backwards? We're trying to agree on everything, doctrine, preferences, We could list it all. Tongues, baptism, membership into a community, all these things. We have to establish agreement first so that we can be in unity and dwell together. I'm saying, what if we're supposed to dwell together first, which allows us to have any chance of losing ourselves and finding unity? Friends, I think that might be something. I want to chew on that myself. Would you as well? Why? Because Yeshua cried out to the Father at the end of his life, Father, make them one like we're one. And that's the goal. I think that's that's very possible. All right, so where are we? We're talking about the mystery of one and unity in the church. We're going to move on to the next part here. Thank you for watching. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you say, I possibly read the wrong verse or the wrong context of what I was just talk to us about it. It's okay. Don't get mad at me and bring a hard, you know, wooden spoon of correction. Just talk to me. Okay? That's the goal here. Let's 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 talk together. The Father said, Hey, come let us reason together. That's what he said to his people. And I'm saying, let's do the same thing. Let's reason with the Father and his written word and see where we can find a place of agreement according to the Word of God and what it says. And then, I believe, we're beginning to find the mystery of one. So you've been watching the Path to Zion podcast. We're rediscovering the ancient way. We will be back for part three right after this. Uh, Thank you for watching. Amen.